0: Aren't you glad that we serve a king that has no rival this morning? Who's never been defeated? A king whose word is true? A king that is for us. That's good news this morning, amen? That's good news this morning, right? All right. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me to the book of Colossians. We are going to start a um, multi-week, month study through the book of Colossians. And my prayer for us through the book over the next few months is that God would stretch our hearts and give us a deep, deep, deep love for the gospel. Paul points to it here in the book, and, and we're going we're to kind of dig into that a little bit today. Um, he was writing the book, and I, I'll kind of give you a, a snapshot of what's happening uh, before we read the text and pray. But Paul, is he's never been to Colossae. He's never been there. He has heard of their faith, which we'll get into in chapter one, and he knows some good brothers in the faith that are from Colossae, right? He uh, he knows Epaphras, this guy who has come to Rome where Paul is in prison, and Paul writes this letter from Rome. The reason he writes this letter is because though the Colossian church, um, they're a vibrant church, they've been a good church, they've been a passionate church, and they've been a faithful church, there are some guys. Who kind of gained a little influence with the church and started kind of preaching some heresy some false doctrine And try to introduce some new philosophy and ideas that really go against the gospel We now call them the Gnostics And and what they were saying is this they came on the scene and they were kind of like hey listen um, All matter is evil. That was one kind of one of their ideas and so God is good, but matter is evil. So it it kind of fleshed itself out in two ways. You would either have Gnostics who would be incredibly uh, involved and engaged in asceticism and and legalism, and and, uh, they they would follow the Jewish dietary laws and kind of put the gospel with that and throw in some Eastern philosophy and kind of mix it all together, and that was their religion. Well, that's obviously not the gospel. Well, then you had some Gnostics who were like, hey, listen— all matter is evil, God is good, so YOLO. You know what I'm saying? That was kind of their philosophy. Their life philosophy was, hey, you only live once, all matter is evil, let's just kind of do whatever we want to do. That's also not the gospel. Another heresy that the Gnostics, these guys who were kind of infiltrating the church and trying to spread their philosophy, they were saying that Jesus was not God and that he was not the Christ, but he was just an emanation from God, that he, there was no deity to him. And so Paul is writing this letter in an attempt and a desire to center the Colossian church, the people in Colossae, back On the gospel, remind them who they are, what they were made for, and to anchor them in Christ. So that gives you a little bit of a a backdrop of why this letter was written. What's cool about the city, too, I'll say this real quick. It was in the middle of um, north and south, east and west trade routes. You had like uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis, and and a ways away you had uh, Ephesus, right? And and the guy who planted the Colossian church, he he was actually came to faith in Ephesus. But what's really cool, I started thinking about the Colossians and Paul writing to him. I thought, man, that's so much like Tifton, like the you're in the middle of this north and south, east and west trade route. We're right in the middle, and, and the Lord just really just kind of grabbed my heart and was like, hey, man, this is is relevant right now. You guys are in this incredible position to affect the entire state. You're in this incredible position to affect the world from right here in Tifton, Georgia. So that gives you a little bit of backdrop. I'm going to read you the first eight verses, and then we'll pray. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the world and is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard and understood the grace and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, you are the greatest of all time. Lord, there's none like you, there's never been any like you, and there will never be any like you. Father, you are infinitely better than anything that we could experience on this planet. So this morning, as we, as we gather around this gospel, Lord, as we rally around this hope that you've imparted into our lives through this sacred text, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe on us in such a way that you would open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive all that we have from you, God, all that we can from you, and all that you have for us, help us, God. or we are but feeble men and women, but you are a glorious God. So do what only you can in this place, by the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. All right, we're going to walk through now verse by verse together, and I want you to catch this. We'll, we'll kind of go back and and hit some of them, and I want to unpack it. Paul. Beginning of one, and two: Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colosse, grace to you and peace from God our Father. There's a point that I want to make here in the beginning verses uh, that, that really just kind of grabbed me when I was studying this book, when I, you understand the implications that Timothy, or, or that Paul mentions Timothy. I want you to see something really beautiful here. He didn't have to mention Timothy. When when I was reading this letter, I'm like, man, you're Paul. Like, you're Paul. You're in prison. You're kind of like the church planter of all church planters at this point. He's writing this letter around 60, 62. And you're just kind of Paul. But this is what I love. You say, TJ, what's the big deal? He wrote some kid's name, some young person's name in the greeting of the letter. This is what I want you to see in Paul's life. Even in his introduction, he is exemplifying discipleship. Even in his introduction, you say, well, hold on, hold on, what are you talking about? Check this out. He did not have to include the young guy at the table. But this is what Paul did. Paul validated Timothy by including his name. And he invited him into the the conversation. Moms, dads, leaders, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, friends, neighbors, if you wanna know this morning how to pass the authentic faith that we have in Christ Jesus onto the next generation, you don't say, oh, they're just kids. You don't just kind of brush them aside and say, oh, we'll deal with them when they get 17 or 18 or 21 or one day they'll, they'll find a place in the faith and in the gospel like I did. Maybe it's after college. We'll let them sow their wild oats and then, then they'll come back to Christ. No, check this out. The way to pass on an authentic faith in Jesus Christ is to validate young people and to invite them into the conversation. Paul is using the intro. He's using this moment in time to validate young Timothy and invite him into the conversation. How many times those? Oh man, this is grown-up stuff. This is church stuff. I, mean, I didn't really grab a hold of Jesus until after college. Our kids will be okay. no. Listen, invite them into the conversation. Invite them into the story of God as young as possible. Listen, Scripture tells us that when our kids, oh, not Scripture, I'm sorry, statistics, they both start with this, a little confuse me there. Statistics tell us that when our kids graduate high school, 9 out of 10 will never set foot into a church again. 9 out of 10 will abandon their faith. Now, statistic leaves rooms for about 35% of them who will come back between the age of 30 and 37 when they have their first child and feel like they want to raise their kid in a good environment. It's time that we were really, really intentional as a church and as families and friends to invite the next generation into the conversation about Christ. If we want to be real about discipleship, if we want to impart the goodness of God that he has blessed us with, we have to invite them to the table. I I love this as we move on in these first two verses. If you you jot in your Bible or if you highlight or if you note, I just want you to underline a couple things for me or track along with me. It says, to the saints, go ahead and circle that word saints. And faithful brother, circle that too. and, And I just want you to, to circle a bunch of times if you want to, the word in, and then underline Christ. This is something that struck me about the text. Paul has never been to the Colossian church at this point. And I love that in Paul's greeting, when he's opening up with the church, he calls them by a name that is unique to only believers in the Scriptures. When you see faithful brothers written in the New Testament... Only believers are called faithful faithful brothers. Something else is interesting here. That word saints in the original Greek means hagaios, which literally means holy. So this is what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, hey, you holy, faithful people who are in Christ, listen up. This is what I love. He defines them and calls them by their new identity. I'll let that sink on you for a minute and let you marinate in that. He doesn't say, hey, sinners. Hey, you Colossians who have kind of gotten off track and you're listening to some weird philosophy and you're reading your horoscopes way too much. You've kind of dove off the Enneagram path way too much. No. See, Paul exemplifies here for us, and man, this struck my heart, good Holy Spirit leadership. Check this out. He addresses them in a beautiful and intentional way that underlines their new identity. He begins with who they are. Hey, you're saints. Hey, you're a holy people. Hey, there is something unique and special about you that no other part of created, uh, create, creation, the created world, gets to take pleasure and joy in. Hey, you are Holy. So, so he, he underlines who they are, but then he goes a step further. He calls them faithful brothers, so he says, hey, remember who you are, and now let's talk for just a second in this introduction about what you are. You are faithful. And just like every good leader who's anchored in the Holy Spirit, he tells them who they are, he tells them what they are, and then he points to Jesus and says, remember where you're anchored. In Christ I I hope you can grab this this morning Paul is patterning Holy Spirit leadership listen this should affect the way that we speak to our families this should be affect the way that we serve those that we're in leadership over right this should affect the way that we manage our companies or our employees the way that we we respond to our children think about the way leaders bosses parents coaches everybody listen up this morning Paul could have launched with, don't listen to the Gnostics. He could have said, what are you doing, stumbling into heresy? He could have launched with, come back. Instead, he, hey, you holy, faithful people who are in Christ, listen up. You know what good leadership does? You know what Paul exemplifies here? In that room that day, when they read this letter, because clearly, in a time where where most people would gather around one person who would read the letter out loud. Most people probably couldn't read in that setting. So they're reading. And somebody's in the crowd saying, man, I don't feel very holy today. Man, man. Paul, if you knew my life, you would know that that I haven't been living very, very holy. And then somebody else on the other side of the room, when he calls them faithful brother, their heart struck because they think, I haven't been very faithful. See, this is what's beautiful about the letter. He's reminding them who they are in spite of who they are, right? Like you are holy. You've been made holy by the blood of the Lamb in Christ Jesus, and you are faithful. So good leadership, listen, it acknowledges who you are in Christ, but then it calls you up to the next level. It calls you to be who Christ has died for you to be, a faithful brother. And then it reminds them of this. Then it points back to Jesus. Hey, you're in Christ. So for those of you in the room this morning and you're listening to this letter, 2,000 some odd years later and you say, TJ, I don't feel very holy. The things that I've been doing, my secret sins, my brokenness, the things that haven't quite find, I've been found out about yet, the things that I've just kind of been glossing over, they're kind of unholy, TJ, so I don't fit into this letter. And maybe you say, TJ, I'm not very faithful, actually, to Christ. I'm not even faithful in the small things in my life. I don't think I fit into this letter. I love the next phrase, in Christ. See, so you take Christ out of the sentence and the unholy stay unholy, but you put Christ in the sentence and the unholy are made holy. You hear me this morning. You remove the gospel, you remove Christ, and the unfaithful stay unfaithful. But when Christ is alive in the sentence, when his gospel is at work in our lives, the unholy are made holy, and the unfaithful are called faithful sons and daughters. I love that he reminds them who they are and their new identity, reminds them what they are and reminds them who they belong to. He takes a breath and begins to remind them that they're being prayed for and lifted up. He's showing gratitude. Let's move on in the text. We'll start in verse 3. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. When he says, since... We heard. This is interesting to me. One thing about the Colossian church, they're kind of struggling, obviously. Epaphras is nervous, so he goes and runs to Paul, kind of, and Nesimus is already there, and we'll pick up on that later, but he kind of runs and says, hey, I'm having some problems. I need you to write this letter. I need you to clarify the gospel for us. But this is what's beautiful. The Colossian church... Had established a faith in Christ Jesus that was worth being rumored about. We need to hear that this morning. Paul, the apostle of apostles, like I, I always say, right? The, the church planner of all church planners, the one who, if you read most of his letters, he's usually just smoking people down with truth, okay? He's usually just blowing churches up. Like if you, if you actually dig into the New Testament, read his letters, you read the Corinthians, he's like, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, repent and kick that dude out, all right? Literally, you read his letters and that's what it is. I mean, it, there's a lot of angst, but he's just overflowing with this grace to the Colossians. He's like, hey, guys, listen, I, I've heard of your faith. Like your faith has traveled all the way from where you are. And, and, and Colossae at one time was this kind of this busy city on that major trade route I was telling you about. And then they, they kind of uh, uh, diverted traffic, I guess, the trade route to Laodicea. And, and, and Colossae kind of came this out-of-the-way town. And in this out-of-the-way town that, that used to be something thriving, this, this intersection of trade and commerce, there's this vibrant little church And Paul's saying, hey, listen, I know you got some struggles, but your faith, the way that you love Jesus, the way that you're anchored in Jesus, the way that you believe in Jesus, and the way that you love people has made it all the way back to Rome to me. I read that in the text, and I'm like, God, is that us? It prompts this question in my heart, and I'm like, God, are we a church who loves Jesus, that loves Jesus in such a way, a church that is so faithful to brothers in Christ and so faithful to extend our arms and our hearts to our community. Are we a church that centers in on the gospel in such a way that that rumor spreads? Hey, you be careful in them First Baptist folks. Those people will love you. (laughs) Right? Y'all be careful about that church. They will check on you. Hey, be careful getting close to those people. They will pray for you in public. My my heart was weighty with that question this week. Would that be our rumor in our city? If Paul was writing to First Baptist Tifton, hey, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of the love you have for the saints. I've heard of the way that you serve people. I've heard of the way that you go and give and and just pour out the gospel. I've heard. The Colossian church became a church of influence because their DNA was faith and love. I I want you to see that in the text. If if you can track back to verse 3, it says, I thank God for you when... Every time I pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. The faith and love that the Colossian church demonstrated was built on a hope that was otherworldly. A heavenly hope. A hope that was purchased for them because, because Christ endured the, endured the cross in their place. Now I want you to grab this in these few verses. The reason that the Colossian church loved so well is not because the Colossian church was filled with really good, cool, clean people. The reason that they were faithful had nothing to do with, with their church attendance. Let me say it like that it had everything to do with the fact that they had placed all of their hope that they had went all in that they had staked their lives on the hope in Christ Jesus alone the dna of the colossian church the thing that set them apart was their love and their faith that was motivated by the gospel Let me read to you 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-9. Because sometimes we say gospel, and because we, we're a church and we preach the gospel, teach the gospel, sing the gospel, you hear that word a lot, right? Gospel, gospel, gospel. I, I want to give you a few verses this morning, if you will, that, that help kind of unpack the word gospel. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul." The thing that motivated the Colossian church was the fact that they had been bought with a price that they did not have to pay. The thing that drove the Colossian church, the thing that gave them this love and this faith had nothing to do with their working or their striving or their doing more. It had everything to do with them centering their lives on this reality that the king had come and died in their place and rose from the grave. That was the motivation of their love. It's the motivation of their faithfulness. The Colossian church knew that that is why they existed. The motivator for the church was the great hope of the gospel. Simply put, I love the way MacArthur says it. He says the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has been victorious over Satan, sin and death. And it's that good news that motivated their love and their faith. Here's my question this morning, what motivates you? What motivates you in this life? What motivates you in this life? Is it money? Is it jobs? Is it accolades? Is it praise for yourself or pass What motivates you in this life? What's the reason that you get out of bed and you you work and you earn and you love and you go and you give and you celebrate and you have joy? Now, what's the motivator this morning for you? Because here's the truth. Anything that motivates us that is not Christ is perishable. It'll fade. Well, T.J., man, I, you know, my whole life is built around this job. That job could go. T.J., my whole life, I, I'm motivated. All the things that I do is built around this person. That person could go. T.J., my whole life, all of my motivation is my kids. Man, one day they're going to grow and go. <laughs> I have family. What is, the, what is the thing this morning that motivates you? Can I say this? Let it be the gospel. Let the key primary motivation in your life to get out of bed in the morning, to work hard at your job, to love your spouse well, to care for your children, let the key motivation this morning be the gospel. Because it never perishes. And it can't be corrupted. I'll say this, and then we'll move on to the last bit of verses. You can be sure of this. A faith that will be rumored about is one that is built on the gospel, fueled by the gospel, and anchored, and has anchored itself in the gospel. A life that will be rumored about, a, a love that will be rumored about, a church that will be rumored about will be one that is anchored in and sold out to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's my prayer for every single one of you in this room this morning that you would be so in love with the Gospel of Jesus Christ that you would just go all in. I love the way David Platt says it. He said, there came a point in my life in my ministry where I just had to lay a blank check down in front of God and sign my name. God, wherever you want to send me, I'll go. God, whatever you want to do with me, I'll go. God, whatever calling you have for me, I'll do it. At some point, he said, "I, I just had to push all the chips to the center of the table. What's your motivation this morning? And this is what I love. Say, why the gospel, TJ? Why harp on the gospel? Why should the gospel be the key motivator? Reading with me, verse 6. The gospel, which has come to you and it is indeed in the whole world and is bearing fruit and increasing, it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood it by the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister in Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I love the two points that Paul makes closing out this breath. One is that the gospel is the source of fruit and the truth. It is the truth. No ministry philosophy, no certain program, no certain music, no certain striving. No other religion, just the gospel. If you want to see fruit in your life, be anchored in the gospel. You want to see fruit in your marriage, be anchored in the gospel. You want to see fruit in your parenting, be anchored in the gospel. Paul is reminding them, and I love the way he's doing it. The truth is not philosophy, right? All these invading ideas that there might be some other way, some other hope. No. The gospel. So hear me say this to you, church, First Baptist Church, Tifton, if you want to see fruit in your life, anchor in the gospel. Some preachers would stand in the pulpit and tell you just to do better, right? Stop showing up at church just every other Sunday, (laughs) y'all. Right? Some Some preachers would like to convince you that just doing more would get you there, wherever there is. And Paul says, no, no, no. You anchor your life in the gospel and you'll see fruit that you could never produce on your own. You experience hope and meaning and vitality and life that you can never experience on your own. The second thing that, I, that he nods to here, and, and, and this kind of stirred my heart, the way he closes, in this breath anyways. So all these things that I'm telling you, you've learned them from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I'll say it to you this way. Because some of you may be saying, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but, but you're a preacher. <laughs> so, like, you, you do this stuff, right? Like, but what about me? I'm just... I'm just an ordinary dad or an ordinary mom or, or, like, I'm not, you know, I don't have to be in the Bible all the time. TJ, what about us? What about all of us ordinary people? I love for every person that has that excuse this morning that wrestles with the idea, Epaphras just kind of shuts us up. He was an ordinary man that came to faith in Christ in Ephesus. He wasn't a, that we know of a preacher or some, some teacher, some great evangelist he wasn't an apostle he was some guy from a city named Colossae who a few years earlier just happened to be in Ephesus and some guy Paul was preaching about this incredible gospel of Jesus Christ and Epaphras became a a follower in Jesus and a believer and an old ordinary Epaphras went home to Colossae and planted a church because Jesus was alive in his heart So for every single one of you that sits here and say, oh, TJ, I'm just ordinary so-and-so. I can't do this thing for God. I'm just ordinary so-and-so. Epaphras says, shut up. Ordinary Epaphras silences your excuses this morning. God can use you wherever you are, whoever you are, for his glory and the good of the world around you. The question is, will you anchor in Christ? The question question is, will you make the gospel primary? The question is, will you lay that blank check down, that that all-in moment with God this morning and say, God, you can have it all? Because wherever you are, and whoever you are, he loves you and aims to use you. Do you hear me this morning? He loves you and aims to use you. Let's, let's pray together this morning as we center this thing back in. Father, Help us this morning to see that our identity is found in the gospel. That the gospel confirms our identity as holy people. God, and and you did all the work all by yourself on the cross. So God, as we live as holy people, bought with a price and purchased by your Precious blood, Jesus, I pray that you would help us all to feel the same way maybe the Colossian church felt when when Paul called them faithful brothers, calling them to step up. Calling them to take ownership in their faith and, and rise to the moment, rise to the occasion. God, help us anchor in Christ help us this morning to surrender to the reality that the gospel has to be primary that all of our striving all of our doing all of our working if it's not in Christ and in the gospel is in vain help us to feel that this morning and God ultimately let us be persuaded that by your grace you can use the most ordinary in the room to do the extraordinary in the Gospel. Convince us of that, persuade us of that over and over and over. In Jesus' name, amen.